Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another bonus episode of Full Metal Tuxedo. We haven't done one of these in a while. My name is Gregory, hey. and you know my co-host is Patrice. Hello, everybody. Now, this time we're going to do something a little bit different. Patrice has a little story for me. Uh, this is a true crime, true real, real-to-life story, something that's actually happened. Yeah, that's a little bit different for us. Right. Just dipping our toes into the true crime genre. For I love the first that time. the dog has decided to get up, rummage through the bin, have a really loud drink of water. <laughs> only when we started recording. Yeah, very good timing, Oog. Thank you. Thanks, Oog. Um, yeah, so this is different. And um, we haven't done a true crime kind of story yet, have we? We haven't really spoken about something that's actually happened like this. I think the missing 411 stuff was the closest that we got right, when to talk about true crime. That's a good point. Um, I'm a, I am a bit of a true crime aficionado fan, but you're not really, are you? Well, I mean, I am into it, but I'm nowhere near as, as into it as you are. I mean... No. Um, I was one of those psychos that would listen to hours and hours of serial killer podcasts. Right. Which like, I which I from my way to work. Which I find so, so ironic because, you know, obviously I watch a lot of fictional stuff and sometimes I'll tell you about like a really depressing fictional work I'm watching and you're like, "Oh, I don't even watch stuff like that. It's so depressing." And then meanwhile, you're like, "Yeah, so I was listening to this serial killer podcast today and <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the thing cuz it's kind of like I think, I think the way that my mind works is that I think, why would someone make up for entertainment? Mm. It's so awful. Yeah, that's Whereas a, when I, like I hear that, I think, about yeah. like true crime and serial killers and murders and things like that, like that is, it's almost like a warning, like of what people are capable of. So I don't know, in my mind, I feel like you kind of need to know like real stories like that. Well, I actually do listen to a couple uh, people like Bailey Siren, Sarian. She's Sarian. Yeah, she's very popular right now. And uh, you actually got me into her. So yeah. I listen to her from time to time. And then there's another one I think yeah, she's Yeah, baby, called... your cut creases are looking amazing. Yeah. Ever since you've been watching Bailey Sarian, you finally found out how to do that makeup look. <laughs> and uh, there's another one I listen to, I think. It's another woman as well. I think she's called Kendall. Uh something like that anyways i noticed that it is a very popular um genre with women in general yeah but i have um i have, have you seen that meme that was jerry from rick and morty and it's like him driving in the car you know that car meme and it's like me listening to um true crimes. oh very good <laughs> to my me listening to true crime podcasts on the way to my nine to five job like that was me <laughs> <laughs> no i do really appreciate the genre though Mm. And there was a time where I used to travel a lot for work and I'd be alone. Hmm. So I would be like walking around, I'd go for walks, listening to true crime, just like walking around random parks by myself. And I was just like, this, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't do this. This is probably why I'm having nightmares. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with it, though, is I've noticed I do have to sort of pace myself. Yeah. See, I don't, it doesn't affect me like that in that way. Okay. Too badly. Okay. Like I can kind of 
I don't know. I can kind of dissociate from it, I think. So, yeah, I know that you're, you can't. So maybe when we do these kind of episodes, I'm probably going to have to be the one that does the research on them. Oh, yeah. I would prefer... I can kind of, I can kind of get deep into the research and still be like, okay, good night. <laughs> yeah, I would prefer you do the research. I can do the presenting. Um, and I like listening to the stories. It's just... With Coravina, when we did the Coravina two-parter, it was like four weeks straight of mm. just like talking about these terrible things that happened to these people. And it was just, at first I was fine with it, but it was just that because we did such a deep dive into it, it was, I was starting mm. to put myself there and I just started getting kind of depressed about it. Mm. So whereas I think that it's important for people to know and understand what happens. Well, I agree with that. And that's actually one thing that you said to me when I asked you a while back why you are so into the genre and why you, you know, feel the need to listen to so many. And one of the answers you gave me was that at very least it's educating you on what not to do to put yourself mm. in a situation that you can get you know, nixed by mm. a serial killer. And I thought that that was actually and, a really good argument. And uh, also, too, I feel like when it comes to cold cases, even cases that are solved, um, but, but especially cold cases, is that people's names deserve to be remembered. Mm. That's a good point. But I, I... Sorry, I'll let you finish your thought there. You know, and I think that even though... It's not always, it's obviously not a nice way that these people are remembered, at least that they can have, you know, not be forgotten. So if someone can help solve their, the crime that they were involved in, it is one thing which upsets me that we don't know much about the person that they were without this terrible thing happening to them. But I guess that that's the nature of it, that if this terrible thing happened to them, they would have, people wouldn't know about them anyway. Well, there's a whole genre of uh, the whole community online of like truth seekers, sleuth seekers that basically go over yeah. all these cold cases. And what I find interesting about them is that they quite often by putting their brains together are able to come up with ideas that the police just weren't able to because they were so into it for so long. Right. And, you know, sometimes these cases get solved because of it. But also oh. there's another side of that coin, though, is that there's a lot of these people that make entertainment out of it. And it's very mm -hmm. easy to be disrespectful to the victims by trying yeah. to make. And I feel like the Elisa Lamb case from the... Yeah, the hotel in LA, I think is a really good example of one where people just go too far with it. Yeah, I guess that, like when you, when you even think about the Phil Schneider thing, that's the same though. Like mm. he made a spectacle of himself, but you know, I personally think that he was just a really unwell, mentally unwell man. I agree. That was surrounded by enablers that, you know, fed into his delusion. But he put himself in the spotlight, though. With yeah, a lot of these victims, he, they're just normal, everyday people that didn't even really have but, much of a social media presence. But the whole presence that he has now, though, is because of people being interested in the story. When he was doing... He wasn't famous like he is now when he was doing those interviews. You know, he's not... Well, not famous, but, like, well-known. Like, he's mm -hmm. almost... It is almost infamous now because of... He died. But I think even all of that was fabricated by him, you know? Right. Well, I mean, that his death was what sort of launched him into mm. the zeitgeist. And it was because 
you know, he so famously said before he died, if I die, I didn't do it. If they say yeah. I killed myself, it's not true. And, you know, that's, so. that's it just, it feeds into his whole narrative of, oh, look, I'm such a special person. But, you know, that's what he wanted to be so badly that he wanted mm -hmm. to go out with this big mystery about what it was that, that took him out in the end, when probably in the end he took himself out. I think so. But anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so we've come to this point this week because of a chance meeting that I had with a woman last week who, when she found out what I do, she offered up this story to me, which I found really interesting because it's not really something that I talk about to other people. You know, that we have a podcast where we talk about inexplicable, unexplained things and we kind of um, look at them from a sceptical perspective and a believer perspective and we kind of try and present stories and people's experiences as even-handedly as we can. So I, whenever I meet people like in real life I kind of, that I don't really know, I kind of um, try and downplay it a little bit. But and basically what I said, I'm like, I try in the beginning, I was like, oh, we just talk about weird shit. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, I believe in all that weird shit. So then like, she was kind of probing me a little bit yeah. more. Testing and, you. Um, yeah. And so then she told me this story, which was fascinating to me. But it does have, it's a true crime story, but with a bit of a paranormal twist. Like, but it was a personal paranormal story twist for her. Right. So, I mean, the, yeah. the paranormal twist is interesting, but... Um, and that gave me kind of goosebumps, but the mm. true crime aspect of this story is, I think, way more gripping. Um, I think so. And I really love this story, but I've only heard sort of like a, like a Cole's Notes sort of version of it, like a nice abbreviated version. I would like, so Patrice here has really fleshed it out for us here, so I can't wait to hear the full version. Alrighty, so... Have, uh, this happened in Queensland, and have you ever heard of Mount Isa? No. Well, when I was like doing my research for this story, I found apparently in like 1972 or something, there was like a colony of crocodiles found underground in one of the mines there. What? Mining town. And so in my mind, I'm like, that's definitely lizard people. Yeah. They ain't going crocodiles. And you know what's so weird is that I tried to find a story on it because apparently it made worldwide headlines that there was these crocodiles found underground in a mine because Mount Isa is basically a complete mining town. That's definitely... Like they do everything like silver, nickel, um, lead, and it's actually one of the most productive minds in human history. I mean, it, it definitely sounds like code for we found lizard people underground. Yeah, well, when I tried to find anything on it, apparently it made worldwide headlines. It's like being completely memory hold. So mm. if you can find anything about my eyes are crocodiles in the actual mine underground, I'd love, I'd love for you to let us know because I couldn't find anything. So I read that little bit and I thought that's really interesting. I love it. I love it. So basically what happened um, in a place called Spear Creek just outside of Mount Isa um, on the evening of the 24th of October in 1978, a man and his fiancée were walking their greyhounds after dinner 
when they came across a dead body sprawled against a tree in a dry riverbed at Spear Creek, which was near Mount Isa. So, um, I mean, what would your first initial impressions be of that? Like, that's definitely not what you want to see just after you've finished dinner. Well, I mean, they would ruin my day and I knew that I would be there. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> and just oh. like, oh, this is the last thing I want to deal with today. But I mean, uh, yeah. I think that I, I would, uh, you know, initially actually just feel concern for wh whoever it was. Well, I, don't, I think, I, you know, if you're living out in the bush in the wilderness, you'd probably be used to seeing kind of like dead animals when yeah. you're walking. But you're not but even you're used to seeing people thinking, in general, let alone a dead person. But how would you know that it was a dead person? Oh, is that, is that the story? Is that they could tell it was a body, but they couldn't tell what it was a body of? Well, I don't know. Like when you're, when you're walking along, do you know what I mean? You see something dead. I don't know, automatically assume it's a person. Well, I mean, if it's wearing clothing, I might. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Well, I don't know. Here we have like wombats. And... Haven't you ever seen Blinky Bill? No. They're all wearing clothes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Yeah. No. So initially, uh, obviously, they reported this to the police. And then, um, but the police didn't rock up until the next day. Ooh, and that's, so it was the following day. That's scary. Yeah, I know. I guess it's a small country town. I don't know. Yeah. Like, cause um, I'm, I'm imagining if I find a dead body and I call the police, I have to stay there and wait <laughs> a couple hours while they, they come and then ask me questions about what state I found yeah. it in. Did I touch it? Blah, They're blah, probably blah. like, do you mind just camping out there for the night until we can like get around there tomorrow? <laughs> just make sure. Yeah. Cause the, the alternative is this guy probably went home to his wife mm -hmm. and just laid in bed with her thinking, yeah, I wonder what's happening to that dead body out in the oh. ditch. No. Well, hopefully he didn't go home to his wife because he had his fiance oh. with him on the walk. So that would have been... <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> that would have been an awkward situation. Like, what were you doing out there? <laughs> so when the police arrived the next morning, because it may have just been because they had to get detectives out from Brisbane, which is kind of the closest main city, um, in Queensland, they discovered two more bodies in the grass. Um, they were all still clothed, but they were completely stripped of any identification and their pockets were turned inside out. So um, it, they had been decomposing for quite a while. So any kind of like preliminary identification probably wasn't going to be possible. So they had to wait for dental records to find out who these people were. Um, Basically, they could tell that they had been shot close range by, by a twenty-two caliber rifle. So, and yeah, they were all kind of, they were still all dressed. None of them were obviously hidden. And so they were just kind of like exposed to the element, elements. So, so that in itself is kind of bizarre yes, for, a, for so, a triple homicide. Yeah, so killed point blank range, stripped of their money, their identification, and then just left in the ditch to rot for days yeah. if not weeks but the strangest thing is i don't even think that like theft was a motivation because there was um newspaper articles that i found later on where there was like a jeweler being had been brought in to identify a watch because it had been sold in melbourne okay so he could say that it was definitely his a piece of jewelry that he sold but he couldn't tell he didn't keep records on who it was from so all of those kind of things were left on them. 
Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so after a little bit of police work, they um, identified the three people as two New Zealanders called Tim Thompson and Gordon Twaddle and Tim's girlfriend, Karen Edwards. So basically, um, Tim and Gordon were both from New Zealand and they had arrived a couple of years before. And um, Tim was like a teacher and he had kind of come here, spent some time and they were planning a motorcycle, like a trip of a lifetime motorcycle trip around Australia. So he loved motorbikes and um, he actually had a golden red Suzuki 1977 BMW and Beautiful. he custom made a sidecar um, out of wood for a dog. So he had just <laughs> like really cool dream of like, you know, coming to Australia, getting a bike, building a sidecar, um, getting a puppy and like just kind of cruising around Australia with his girlfriend yeah. on the back. And I love, I love the bike. I, I've seen the bike. It's beautiful. And he even had a map of Australia on the bike showing where he wanted to travel around the places he's been and wants to be. I think that that's a pretty beautiful classic like bike adventure sort of story. Yeah, absolutely. So that was kind of what this kind of dream was. So the plan was that he had lived in Melbourne for a while and built this sidecar. And essentially he drove that up with his friend, like Gordon, who had like a blue and white Suzuki um, and had driven up through the centre. They'd gone to um, Adelaide first and picked up a puppy. So I don't know, some of the reports say that it was an Alsatian, some say that it was a Doberman. But basically, he got this puppy to put in the sidecar and um, had moved up and been in Alice Springs for about two months before his girlfriend flew up and met them in Alice Springs ready for this trip. So the plan was that they were going to meet in Alice Springs and then take a couple of months riding back down to Melbourne where they would have Christmas with their family. Okay, so they had left um, Alice Springs on the 2nd of October. And they'd gone to a few a little kind of um, touristy places like the Devil's Marvels and all this kind of stuff where they'd taken photos and they were making their way around. At some point during this um, trip, only a couple of days, they met like another motorcyclist that people had seen them with. Okay. Um, and they seemed like to be quite friendly with this person. and. Um, People even reported that they saw them camping together at certain spots. Oh, um, so, there was, alleged... so there was a fourth person in the group. Yeah. Okay. And so then it was alleged that this person traveled with them to Mount Isa. And the trio then um, checked into the Mundara Caravan Park, but this fourth person didn't. Oh, okay. Right. So on the 4th of October... That was the last time that they were seen alive. So they checked into the Mundara Caravan Park and they were last seen alive being picked up by a man in a late model chocolate brown Toyota Land Cruiser. Okay. So, you know, he comes and picks them up and they leave their campsite how it is and the dog was tied up to the tree. So they've left their campsite that they've all set up the dog's tied to a tree. They get jump in this land cruiser with this 
with this guy, which I think is was quite kind of um, uh, noticeable, being like little chocolate brown Land Cruiser, jump in the car, and that's the last time anyone sees them alive. Right. So they obviously don't yeah. think that they're going to be gone for long if they're leaving the dog in the campsite. So yeah. obviously they, they probably think they're just going to go get some food or something, just a quick little yeah, exactly. trip somewhere. Okay. So basically then what happens is the same man comes back in the Land Cruiser and is, is looking for the dog. Mm-hmm. Right. So he gets the dog, looking for the dog whatever without the trio so he comes back by himself looking for the dog okay people see him doing that the next day people notice that the camp's all packed up and all the possessions are gone you know and they just think oh they must have just gone off about their travels but the weirdest thing is is that the dog was found at the dump the dump yeah but and i couldn't actually figure out or find out anywhere that's that's the only way like that's the only information i could find is that the dog was found at the dump and so in my mind i like imagine that the dog was found alive and lived a very long and happy life and yeah was let's adopted let's out. cross our fingers and hope that that's what they meant by the dog was found at the dump just yeah. l- live in the life that every dog wishes they, they could live exactly yeah not not a sad ending yeah for the puppy oh um so everyone just thought that that was a bit like, strange. Obviously, these strangers come in, they get seen with this man, they're not seen again, then people don't see them leave, the dog's found at the dump. Mm-hmm. Right, Super so everyone suspicious. thinks that's just moved on. Super suspicious. Yeah, it's a bit weird, but I guess it's a mining town, things are a bit transient, people are in and out all the time, you know. Yeah. And that was obviously until the 24th when their bodies were found, and then people realised that something was fucked. Right. Like, in this whole scenario. The man in um, the Land Cruiser did it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. So then this is, at this point in the story, this woman that I met last week, this is what she told me was her kind of strange experience, which kind of ended up to be a bit of a ghost story, which is related to this true crime story. Right. So essentially the gist of the story is that the man, Tim Thompson, who was a teacher from New Zealand, when he first moved to Australia for this holiday, her family had a granny flat out the back of their house and they actually subletted the granny flat to this particular man. Right, okay. She said that he was like a lovely man, like got along really well with the family. Like he was a teacher, like she wasn't very good at maths and he actually helped tutor her and was able to make her better at maths and she actually really enjoyed it. So she found out about his death when in um, 1978 and she was a teenager and she was actually in taxi And it came over in a newscast when they had identified who these people were. And she heard the name and she actually asked the taxi driver, like, what name did they just say? And um, he repeated it for her and she was like, oh, my God, I know him. So how crazy is that? Like, that would just be really shocking. To you Americans, by granny flat, she means like an uh, an ensuite apartment that's attached to the, the house or in the house. Yeah, normally, like in Australia, it's kind of out the backyard. Mm-hmm. Oh, what is that? What is that called in America? What do you call the backyard? Backyard, yeah. 
the backyard yes. yeah so it's like <laughs> you have a little granny flat or it's like a uh, no i think they call them don't they call them like a mother-in-law lodge or something like mother-in-law so it's like a literally a separate thing? structure then it's not even yeah in, okay they call i've seen them referred to as like a mother-in-law something okay they're not Mother- as common over here because you have to have like special licensing to build a second structure on mm. a property yeah, so for the most part, they they tend to be like separate. Yeah, okay. Almost like a little, like a, like a trailer, I guess. Okay. You know, those, that's kind of what most of them look like. Um. So he had lived with her family. Interesting. And um, obviously like helped her out, done all that kind of stuff. And this story was a cold case for 40 years. Four zero years. Four zero years this yeah. is a cold case. Well, so it happened so, back in the, the 70s, you said. So, yeah. I mean, th- we're talking before modern forensics, so it was a lot easier to get away with murder back then. Mm. So she... Yeah, so she thought that Tim... This is what she told me, that Tim had come back and was in the granny flat again. As in haunting the place yeah yes she always felt like he had come back and was trying to tell them what happened to him okay and how was he trying to communicate with them then well so this is this is the thing because i i wondered that too she said that some of it was psychic okay okay right so some of it was like you just get weird feelings being there you know and i can imagine that if you were murdered and you're a disembodied spirit that you would probably be freaking people out because well, I feel like your energy would be kind of like scattered because we, if you just had no idea what happened to you, especially when, when they were in this like really happy moment of their lives where they're on this amazing adventure, you know, and when you're, when you're on holidays and you're like traveling, like you're in a great mood and I feel like that almost, you know, a lot of people, a lot of backpackers are victims and I feel like it's because you're in this kind of, different mind state where nothing bad can happen to you because you're having such a great time yeah being being caught up in a euphoric moment makes you makes you forget that there are dangers that there are people that want to take advantage of you and so like maybe in a different world you wouldn't get into a stranger with a strange man a car with a strange man you know but when you're on an adventure you're like oh this is just what you do when you're on an adventure you start you yeah camp, we've met you camp cool with man, a stranger like we've met this cool guy you know let him hang out with your fiance or your girlfriend or whatever it's like no big deal you don't even think much of it yeah and I, well and they would have felt pretty safe they were like two kind of robust guys mm-hmm. do you know what i mean and you don't but assume in, this car. in Australia, like Canada, you don't just assume that people have guns. Like you might yeah. worry about that in the United States. Well, this is a thing. Like in Australia, we had pretty much unregulated gun laws until the nineties. Oh, really? Yeah. So you could have you could have um, automatic rifles and stuff like that here. Oh, crazy! Especially in the seventies. Yeah. So it wasn't until a particularly famous. Um, yeah, we, we don't need to talk, we don't need to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, and that that like that that all changed. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, so he that was unsolved. They've been killed execution style, shot in the back of the head, and their oh, case was unsolved. Execution back of the head. So wow, yeah, it was by like twenty-two caliber rifle. Absolutely, was a planned murder then. Mm, exactly, and then but like I said, just blatantly left outside. 
for people to find. Right. It was obviously not by somebody that knew what they were doing. But, right. But I'm curious oh. then, what would be the motivation? Well, it will, it will come out. Trust me, okay. that will be sufficed. You just have to be patient, <laughs> okay. young Gregory. <laughs> Haven't finished the story about her haunting. So basically what happened was her brother moved to the granny flat. Right, so her brother moved into the granny flat. And it was then that things started to get a little bit more physical. It was less of, of like a, just a creepy feeling, you know, so... The creepy feeling came from them knowing that a man that had been murdered was, had lived in the granny flat. And you can imagine when you're a teenager that that's kind of something you can make up a scary story like that, you know, that this unsolved murder, the person who was involved in it, lived in the granny flat. But it wasn't until her brother moved out there that things started to get a little bit weird. Okay. So this so, guy, obviously the, the victim had moved out of the uh, granny flat like years before the murder right not years before only a few months because okay. he basically had left he had like been in australia for two years okay so when he was staying in melbourne he had been staying at but, his house but he had already moved out before the incident though yeah okay. he moved out because he had kind of left he'd he'd stayed at their house and that's where he'd built like the sidecar and everything cool to get ready for this trip so they knew the motorcycle too then yeah oh cool so she saw him like building the sidecar and everything that's how she knew the whole plan that he was going to get a dog and go on this big trip and everything okay so it was like their kind of trip of a lifetime that they were going on wow that's so cool so yeah because he had lived there before sometimes like he had left a few things and a few of them were some pot plants so he'd left pot plants there that had belonged to him and this was one of the strange things she means she means potted plants not 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 marijuana plants oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so one of the things he'd left behind were the pot plants and potted plants i mean the potted plants <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and the brother had taken them out of the bedroom and put them in the kitchen but then when he'd go to work or school or wherever he was, he'd come back and the pot plants would be back in the bedroom. Oh, so something was moving the plants. Yeah. And, and he's, so you a, he's, alone, he's alone in this building, like a whole building yeah, to himself and something. You'd imagine at first, like it would, it, you would think that it was like just someone trying to fuck with you, like your sister or, right. you know, there'd be two things. I'd be annoyed that they'd been going in my like private kind of room yeah. moving stuff around. My initial reaction would be anger that somebody was trespassing yeah. in my personal space. Yeah. Um, but it kind of was like a common thing that the pot plants would move around. Interesting. In the actual, in the, the granny flat. So that's kind of like, that was the extent of her story. Like she never really like communicated with him or anything like that but she always got this like weird feeling that he'd come back there because they were the people that he knew in australia to be able to say like help me help solve my murder you know interesting so it did stay a cold case for 40 years but in 2019 they had like a breakthrough in the case um and they actually arrested somebody and charged them with their murder. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. What What was the lead? What uh, 
do you know what it was that like got them on the the scent of this guy well the thing is is that i feel like he had always been a main suspect okay from the beginning and um the newspaper articles from that time kind of when you read them back now they're really obvious that they have somebody in mind okay they they weren't able to to really ever like pin it on somebody but that's sometimes a tactic the police will use is to, to make somebody nervous they'll be like oh yeah we know exactly who it was we're just waiting to get the evidence to be able to pin it on them waiting for somebody to do something dumb mm. well yes so he was arrested in 2019 but at the time he was 22 years old and he was an out of work um, diesel mechanic who oh. lived in Mount Isa and oh so he was a local yeah oh wow so For some reason, I was picturing him as a traveler as well that just sort of happened upon these other travelers. But he was... And he was essentially the same age as these people. Okay. So they had no reason to not trust him. So having they're all in that, their early to mid-20s. Because, yeah, having said that, he's not guilty yet because the case hasn't actually gone to trial. Yeah, so he isn't guilty yet because this hasn't gone to trial. It's basically what's happened um, you know, from 2019 to now, things have been a little bit... You know, <laughs> the global situation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So initially he denied even being in town when the trio were killed because his dad was kind of like a big like, hotshot in the mines. Like he was some... He almost ran at like a... He was like a training officer there. Oh. So he was kind of... People like knew who he was oh, in town. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So like real regimented kind of guy. His name was um, Bruce John Preston. And he actually had, he went on and joined the army and eventually he became a, a prison guard for most of his, his life. This Whoa. He accused in this murder. Wow. So. That's the last thing you yeah. want to be when you're in prison is an, a, a retired prison guard or at any time yeah. having been a prison guard that you are mm. not going to be anybody's friend there. You're not going to have a good time, no. So guess what kind of car his dad had? A uh, brown land cruiser. Yeah. Yeah. But there's an even like bigger kind of smoking gun that this is, you know, I've, you don't even really need to be like a too intelligent police officer to kind of feel like this guy was involved in some way. Well, right? I'm, because... I'm going to guess what it is, but I don't want to steal your thunder here. What, what, yeah. what was the obvious thing that made it seem like he had something to do with it? Well, he had Tim Thompson's bike and sidecar in his shed. <laughs> so that's pretty cut and dry because, you see, it's one thing to be like, okay, well, I've got an orange motorcycle here, but it's mm. another to be like, I've got this Tim Thompson's orange motorcycle with his custom yeah. sidecar that he built himself. So then he had told, like, so the police were like, what? <laughs> yeah. And his story that he stuck to was that he was coming home from a restaurant on the 11th of October and he saw two men in an empty lot trying to start the bike. And so he went up to them and said, hey, what are you doing? I know the owner of that bike. And the reaction to that was they jumped into a car and drove off. So, but then he admits that he, he himself went back later and stole the bike. And he had the intention of selling it. Great. Because, you know, but that's the thing. Like at this point, wouldn't you think if it was on the 11th of October, you know, that's almost an admission of guilt. Because why would you then go and steal a bike 
from someone that you like knew because he claims that he knew them right you know why would you then steal a bike from someone that you knew and he didn't know that they were dead yet because the bodies weren't found until the 24th so him not going to the police saying i found this bike that i know belongs to a guy who was in town like you know last week and now no one's seen them right. but here's his bike so how'd they get anywhere right how Instead, did he, he put it in his shed. Yeah, so how did he even know that the bike was open to be stolen if he... Exactly. If the guy, if he didn't know that the people were prematurely deceased before even the police knew about it. That is... Yeah, so... He, that is, so like, that, pretty like, big... Pretty story. big red flag, yes. And they're like, oh, so you knew Tim Thompson. Why don't you come forward and tell... Like, why don't you come forward and tell us that you knew Tim Thompson? Yeah. That's a pretty terrible, you know what I mean? that's, that's essentially an admission of guilt that he knew that something had happened, at very least knew something had happened to Tim. Exactly. And so they were like, so you're telling us that they were last seen on the 4th of October. You saw his bike on the, the 11th of October and then didn't tell anybody that these people, like that you've, that you've seen the bike of somebody who hasn't been seen in town for almost a week. And then their bodies are found dead, like, on the 24th. Right. But I think the police probably knew straight away. The, the thing was is that a lot of the reports of the person that they saw with this trio prior when they were camping and stuff, they said he had a beard. And I think that that's the reason why, because this kid didn't have a beard. But how easy is it just to shave your beard, especially if you've killed three people? Well, yeah, I mean, that's... That's what Harrison Ford does in The Fugitive. He he shows up and his wife's being murdered. And when they try to pin it on him, he shaves his beard and tries to blend in with society. That's the mm. very first thing you do is like change your appearance mm. from what people would have pinned you as. Mm. So I think that they had a pretty good idea of who it was. They must they weren't just able they weren't able to like make anything stick because the governor of Queensland even offered a pardon to an accomplice who knew about the killings but didn't kill them to come forward. And they were requesting that um, a twenty two year old man and an eighteen year old pregnant woman come forward and tell them what they knew. So that's pretty specific. Yeah. So that's pretty much basically as specific as you can get. Yeah. You know, without actually saying like we know who you are. I don't know how big Mount Isa was like back in the day, but I know that in recent censuses it has about 20,000 people that kind of live there. That's like a very small, ridiculously yeah. small area. I'm yeah. betting it's, I'm so, betting it was significantly less in the 70s. Yeah. So you feel I feel like the police probably had a very strong inkling who it was. Right. So do you think Especially after they found the bike in the shed. So do you think then that the the motorcycle was the motivation for the murder? I mean, it was a rare motorcycle. Well, was it rare at the time? Like maybe it's rare now, but it was a 1977 version. It was only like a year old. Uh, that's a good point. I bet it it was a nice bike though. They're nice bikes, BMW. And, and his friend had a Suzuki. And was the Suzuki but, missing too? Like what happened to the well, Suzuki? They just, everything disappeared. Yeah. Like so came, the whole camp was packed up and gone. Yeah. So clearly he stole both motorcycles. Mm. And I think that that's the reason why they thought it was like, there must've been an accomplice. I don't know if they ever found the other bike. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like he probably sold the second bike or like you said, had an accomplice. Just thrown in the, in the mine shaft. And the accomplice, the accomplice took the blue one. 
the blue Suzuki. Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. But obviously they're thinking in their mind it must be this 18-year-old pregnant girl. So there was also a rifle that was found. A 22 caliber automatic rifle was found in a dry lake bed by a boy around the same time as the killings um, would have occurred. And obviously when all this kind of happened, the parents like took the gun and surrendered it to the police. And then that got sent to Brisbane for forensic testing. This that is, may have been like all these things like from the 70s. This is the world's dumbest criminal. Even in the 70s, like he's disposing of the bodies in dry ditches, in dry riverbeds mm-hmm. where they're just going to be so easily found. It just seems so ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. So pretty much they're pretty sure that it was this guy that's done it. So obviously there is no like proper conclusion to this story because there obviously hasn't been a trial yet. But it is good to know that even after 40 years, like cold cases like this can be kind of solved and some closure can come to people's families. Yeah, well, it brings me great comfort to know that they've finally found reason to arrest him. Mm. And uh, but they haven't said that there's like DNA evidence or anything no. like that. But I think that it did get put um, before like a cold case kind of tribunal right i don't know maybe if things have changed or the law has changed that maybe um even the evidence of having the motorbike yeah like maybe then it wouldn't have been enough but maybe now like now you probably would like if you if if you had the possessions of people that were murdered without an alibi of how you've come across it well, he you admitted know, he admitted that he be, he admitted that he stole. He admitted it. he knew them. Yeah, and he admitted that he knew them. So, but the problem is, like, as as cut and dry as that would be in Canada and the United States, um, mm. Australia, uh, especially in like the seventies and eighties, that if you didn't have strong evidence for something, if it was only circumstantial, you couldn't um, convict somebody on that. And I think it was even only not even that long ago that if you didn't have a body, you couldn't be charged with murder. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that was probably another reason why it took them so long to put an arrest on this guy, because as cut and dry as that sounds and as obvious as it, it would be to a jury that this guy is at least involved in the murder that or at least was privy to it. So you could at least get him with like accessory to murder. Um, Mm. unfortunately in Australia at the time that was considered circumstantial evidence. So it makes me wonder if now that whoever this 18 year old girl was, has finally felt safe enough to come forward and say what she, what happened. Yeah. You know, cause obviously I feel like that must've been his girlfriend. Well, with the town. Must've been like, let's tell, she'll tell. Well, you're probably right. It probably was his girlfriend. But even if it was just like a witness, like somebody at the Mm -hmm. campsite, you don't really want to come forward in a small podunk little town like that that has a population of less than 20,000 people and be like, oh, yeah, it was an 18-year-old girl that fingered you. It was like very, very likely that, you know, this guy (laughs) probably knew who it was or at least would have recognized the girl because it is such a small place. With so few and I people. guess she had no motivation to come forward and wreck her life right. at that point. Right. You, I mean, yeah, I would be nervous as her in her situation to come forward because I'd be worried that I'd, some retribution would come my way. Well, not just that. Like, you're about to have a baby. Well, that too. 
And you, you wouldn't want to believe that you're the, the father of your child is a killer. Well, if it is his girlfriend, yes, I agree. That's the last thing you want to do is be like, oh, yeah, so you know this baby that I'm having? Yeah, the, yeah. the baby daddy's in prison because I uh, turned him in to the police for murder. Yeah, exactly. For murder and robbery of But maybe she's had like a change of conscience or something like that. There'd be some kind of development. I don't know. Mm. Well, hopefully. But it made me wonder, though, too, about how like you know, the ghosts of people that have violent deaths. Like, I know that you are a believer in ghosts. And a lot of ghost stories tend to have people who've had violent deaths. True, but I don't believe that ghosts are dead people, though. They could be. I don't... Well, I feel like you may be in the minority there. There's a lot of people. <laughs> I am in the minority. Ghosts are actually dead people. Well, I don't think so. I mean, but they could be, though. At well, least, in the, well, whatever they are, like an energy. Like, yeah. Do you think that it is plausible then that this person killed in this traumatic way as a disembodied spirit went back to people that he knew and tried to communicate with them that he was dead and murdered? I think that it's possible why that... Why would he be moving pot plants around? I think that it's possible that some sort of energy left behind by his, yeah, untimely death definitely lingered into the physical world for some time yes i think that that's possible but why would he go back to a granny flat in melbourne yeah that's the part that doesn't and, make any sense though. and this is the bit too which makes me think like if that happened would you go back to like he's from new zealand why didn't he go back to his family mm -hmm. you know are you kind of landlocked mm -hmm. well i mean maybe maybe he just thought like these are the only people in australia that i know Mm. Um, these are the people I have to communicate with because then because first of all just some random ghost starts bugging you you're not going to attach it to a person but if the ghost bugs you in a place where you knew that they lived for some time if these are the only living people that still know who he is like the granny flat might be the only place to go to try to communicate with people because at very least they'd be able to associate the haunting with mm -hmm. a person that they knew so by that logic then do you think that for a certain time, these disembodied spirits maintain a human level of thinking. At least enough logic to know maybe that, you know, if, if a ghost is a dead person, they would have to maintain at least enough logic to know that to communicate with somebody uh, that, you know, you're, you've passed on and that, you know, you have some unfinished business that you have to communicate to them in a place and and also he apparently he had the potted plants before the mm -hmm. uh the girl's brother moved into the the granny flat too so that not only was the granny flat once his but those potted plants were once his as well so yeah he he at least and had enough wherewithal to know to communicate to them in a way that would associate the ghost and the haunting with him and that's the thing i was thinking about with this as well like with haunted objects like is there some kind of rule that you can only interact with things that you owned once before? Oh, you know, that's that an excellent question. Like, like is, is, and you know, is that the reason why maybe like period homes or you bring in, you know, like items from op shops? Because I love um, like op shops and I love, I buy lots of like fine ch china tea What's an, what's an like, op shop? <laughs> oh, like a thrift shop. Okay. So it's, it's op shop because it's opportunity shop because okay. the majority of them are run by charities and stuff like that. Very cool. <clears throat> so I love like fine china teacups. 
and you can get them for really like good prices at op shops like that have been discontinued since the 50s and earlier because I like to drink tea out of tea out of China <laughs> you're a fancy but girl yes I'm a fancy girl like that <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's you know if it is something to do with, with physical possessions imprinted on things you know like do we inadvertently bring things in energies in like I've got a tea, tea and saucer set from 1952. Does that mean I brought this into my house and it means that some lady that drank from that back in 1952 can come in and kind of interact with that or that energy is in my house? I think, I don't know. I don't think so, though. I mean, maybe. Like, I think that... Because haunted objects museums exist. Right, so... Ed and Lorraine Warren had a whole museum. But Ed and Lorraine Warren would tell you that that Annabelle doll, the Raggedy Ann... Mm girl of doll or whatever that there's a spirit associated with it that identified as a young girl and a bunch of nurses like breathed life into that by treating the doll like it was this dead little girl that died in a car accident outside of the building but ed and lorraine warren will tell you that that's not that spirit that's attached to it is not in fact that girl but it's pretending to be a young girl to get sympathy that it's something more nefarious or something that you you don't understand like a but see that's obviously a different kind of phenomena but what i'm meaning is like i buy this new teacup i bring it into my house the, the teacup's not saying i'm an old lady that just wants a nice cup of earl grey mm-hmm. you know i mean things just like some subtle things which you wouldn't even recognize as a haunting unless you're actually thinking about it do you know what i mean like if you say i'm in bed and i hear like some footsteps in the kitchen but i just think it's the house moving mm-hmm. you know like i wonder if that's the reason you know like period homes that have you know antique or refurbished furniture like i wonder if that draws in like people's emotional energy because they're objects that they interacted with in their life i guess if you know going on the premise again that ghosts are dead people then i think it has less to do with you can only interact with things that you interacted with and it's more to do with just having like an emotional connection to an object so again with the potted plants they were something he cared for it's possible that he was just moving the plant around because he had a different idea of how to take care of that plant than uh Mm. than this person's brother did so it would See, that's the thing, though, because you feel like if it can interact with an object, it's not a residual haunt. Mm-hmm. It'd be an intelligent haunt. Yeah, well, it, would, it was absolutely and intelligent, yeah. And if you're, you know, but then it wouldn't be because why, if, he, if you knew that you were dead, why would you be like, oh, I better tell these people like, how I was murdered and who did it, but I better like move this, you know, this um, succulent in to get a little bit more sun. Well, it's a huge assumption, though, of this woman that, he was trying to communicate with the family it's possible that he just wanted to hang out in that granny flat and because what other ways was he trying to communicate with them like what what would the message have been like oh all all i'm getting from there's a weird feeling when you go in there and sometimes the potted plants would move around all i'm getting from that communication is that i'm here and I'm dead. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I get from that. I just thought it was like oddly specific because a lot of that's the reason why they take 
psychic empaths and stuff like that on haunted tours mm. because you don't necessarily need like some kind of confirmation for you to just have an inert feeling that he's trying to tell me what happened to him You know, like he might not be said, oh, it was this certain guy that killed me, but like it may even just be the emotion of going, I was murdered, like I can't, my, they don't, this person's going to get away with it. Like I can't believe I was murdered and this person's going to get away with it. Yeah. Well, I guess that you know, so I could imagine there, there could be a sense of helplessness there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You know, where it's kind of like this, well, it'd be like an anger. Yeah. I don't know what to do, so I'm moving this plant so that at least you know that I'm here and you're freaked out by it. Yeah. Or, like you know especially if you if they've continued to have a human like logic center you know they in their mind they would be thinking well i can't go back to new zealand to my family because i'd have to get on an airplane and i have to fly and then how would i get there and how do ghosts get on airplanes you know what i mean like mm. so you'd think oh well i know i can go back to well the i think that these people it would be or maybe it is that you can only actually interact with people you've had an emotional connection with in that way i don't think so i think it, if again if this was an intelligent haunt of a dead person i think that going to new zealand would have been pointless because um say he tried haunting his family like they mm. don't know they don't know anything about australia about his place there that the, it would be a lot harder to communicate to them that something was wrong whereas mm. uh this woman that you spoke to was able to piece this together because he had a, he had interacted with that specific granny flat he had mm. you know he had built that motorcycle in their garage and the murder happened there so the communication's a lot more direct and understandable whereas if mm. he went home to new zealand people would be like oh who's this weird ghost bugging us i don't know doesn't mean anything to me and i think like the whole yeah I just wonder about like the physical interaction, like believing that they've said that, that that's 100% true. Mm -hmm. It's not the first time you've he heard of things moving around, you know, from a skeptical perspective, I can say like wherever, you know, things are creepy where people think like people, you know, even just like houses where serial killers have grown up or you know with not even anything particularly creepy has happened mm -hmm. people can still attribute like creepy vibes to a place well that they can be enti entirely projected just the woman mm -hmm. knew that the guy was murdered and that he used to live in that in that flat so i might be creeped so it's out like too. urban legend that's how like urban legends yeah. start i might be creeped out too just by associating those two things together oh like the guy that used to live here got murdered i would feel creepy now when I walk in this room, mm. that's entirely internal. And also just the plants moving around. Another skeptical argument is just somebody living was moving them around and wasn't telling the brother or the brother was f just forgetting where he was leaving them. Well, it's like the whole, it's like when we spoke about Elisa Lamb, it's the same thing. Like I'm sure that when I would go in that same elevator that she was in, I would feel creeped out oh, by that absolutely. elevator. And I would feel like there's something creepy about that elevator or creepy about the room that she stayed in doesn't necessarily mean that that's where she passed. Right. She was just in the elevator. Well, it doesn't mean it doesn't that. mean that she's haunting it either. Yeah, it's just because we make that connection, we make that association. So we feel freaked out about it. Hmm. But 
So do you think that people can come back and like try and help people piece together what happened to them? Like, do you think that's something which even like on, like, you know, if you don't believe, if you, if we believe that we are like us immortal soul, like, why would it be so important to want to, to avenge yourself? I mean, it's like if you're just about to go on and start a new one or do whatever. I mean, he was a young guy, you know, early to mid 20s. He obviously, you know, he was in love with a girl. He had uh, this bike that he had worked on and it was like just just a lot of investment in it. And he was just literally beginning this big adventure that he, he was wanted to spend a long time on. And he probably mm. he obviously felt like he was robbed. He was robbed of his youth, robbed of his life, robbed yeah. of his his bike, robbed of his girl, and you know he just felt wronged. So mm. if you know if a spirit can stay behind, like um, because they have you know the the famous uh, the famous thing is the unfinished business, right? So like obviously there'd be a huge like I would feel so wronged in that situation. So, so I, I know that you've said that you don't believe that that ghosts are dead humans. So in this case, then what would that be? Well, Do you think that there are different types? Then I think that in this case, this is this is one that you can point to to make the argument that it is a dead human. Um, I'm willing to believe that's a possibility in this situation, but perhaps though there was like just some sort of energy that he let off. You know, in his final moments, just like this, again, feeling very wronged by the situation. And some spirit took it upon themselves to sort of embody that and try to communicate it to the family. Hmm. I think that um, a lot of cases, spirits are not things that necessarily have personalities of, them, of their own, but they sort of emulate our personalities. And that's why they so easily and readily sort of mimic people that did exist in certain time periods or Ew. or like they'll Wouldn't mimic that be creepy they'll mimic like Wouldn't that be creepy if they knew that like ugh, that just gave me a creep we're like yeah mind. they'll and that's why they will often emulate children because they recognize that children get the most empathy from people so mm. if they pretend to be a, a, a child especially one that people know then it will get the the best what they i think what these spirits try to do is create an emotional connection with you so that they can almost like emotion like energy vampires so like they so you they, think that whatever this was wasn't actually him it was just somebody something that knew that these people had an emotional connection to what happened to him and then they right. used that yes absolutely see but that that's like demon territory that's exactly there you go sweetheart so you demon think that demon territory I don't believe all ghosts are demons. I don't believe no. Ghosts, I don't think I, I don't think that, that they're all demons. demons. But I think that this, um, and I think that it is a gradient. I think that you can like. I think that you can sort <laughs> the of the demon, the demon that moves houseplants around. Right. I think What's you, his name? I think Just you, so we know. I think you can judge ghosts and spirits on a gradient, like. The th just because something is you know like a demon doesn't mean that they are in and of themselves demonic. But I think that we're talking about something that's related to demons. Yes. Well, we'll find out, won't we, when we do our entire series on Ed and Lorraine Warren. Absolutely. So we'll know well, a, a lot about those things. Ed, Ed, Ed Warren would absolutely agree with me, though, that 
that like like I said, the Annabelle doll, you know, is like an example of that where and it's very similar because we're dealing with something that associated itself with an, an, an inanimate object and then associated itself with an actual girl that actually died in a car accident and mm. was able to uh, create an emotional bond with people based on that personality that it took on. So is that the actual, is that the actual story though? Yeah. Or is that just a story from the movie? No, that's the, Ed, Ed Warren literally tells the story that way, that this doll was in um, some sort of hospital facility. A group of nurses noticed that the doll was moving around on its own a little bit. And then they called in uh, a medium. One of, one of the nurses knew a medium. So they called in the medium and the medium uh, essentially created, a, a set up a seance. And that seance started this series of events that essentially destroyed all these nurses lives okay yeah well because it, it was <clears throat> the annabelle doll was given to the girl as a present for graduating exactly, so exactly. it never was in a hospital um it was okay. given to her and it was in her apartment and so she lived in an apartment with her and her girlfriend okay but it ended and up in the possession her boyfriend of, started coming in it yeah, ended the, up the, in the, the possession those of stories a, are crazy yeah like that they were they said that the annabelle doll was like writing notes and shit right but it was that's it, why I want to know. It ended up in the possession of these nurses, though. And then that's how they ended up creating this association with this girl. So, like, that's an example, though. Yeah, but the though. nurses, were, it was given to them. That's what I'm saying. It's a yeah. by the mom. Yes. It was never in a hospital with kids. I didn't say it was with kids. I thought you said that it, it was in the hospital with the kids, and that's how, like, it no. got the spirit of the kid in the car accident. No, no, no. It ended up in the hospital in the possession of the nurses, but... It said that it was this kid that died in the car accident. But I don't think it was ever in a hospital. Well, where did nurses hang out? It was in a nurse. Some in sort their of, house. In a nurse. In their apartment. Oh, okay, so I assu I just assume because nurses are hanging out together that no, it was some they sort were, of they nursing facility. No, because they graduated nursing college. It's a really bizarre present because she was like a twenty-one-year-old woman, mm -hmm. and it was like it was older than I think. I don't. It was like a retro doll, but, and so the mum gave it to her as a graduation present for finishing nursing school. So, so then what happened was that they thought that it was kind of like once again with these moving objects a funny kind of thing right because until like so it would move and it would change positions and it would kind of be in an inex inexplicable positions right. around the house so the, the important and then it's Aya changed to the, one of the girl's boyfriends one of the wanted to kill him right right so one of the important thing is um that they were breathing life into this demon because what they did is after they realized that there was a spirit associating itself with this doll, they started treating this spirit as if it was the little girl. They'd put it in like the passenger seat of their car and they'd drive it around town and talk to it and stuff like that. And then, yes, when one of the nurse's boyfriends or fiancés got up and threw it across the room and said, you're nothing, you're weak or something like that, that's when the wrath started raining down on them. Mm. but yeah i don't know if it's the same in this case unless it's a pot plant demon i've never met a pot plant i don't like <laughs> yeah well again it's just that these these things i think that they emulate personalities that they know that people can want to associate with so like my favorite one of my favorite stories is um my younger brother keith um in one of the houses he stayed in when he was living in the Ottawa area, um, there was this extra bedroom that uh, he and his his now wife didn't. I don't, as far as I know, they didn't use this room. But um, 
they would go in there sometimes for some reason and they would hear this little girl in there and one time one time um some sort of a maid or somebody cleaning like somebody that doesn't live there that doesn't know them doesn't know the story was in there vacuuming and she too while vacuuming heard clear as day a young girl's voice say what are you doing in here this is my room and she immediately turned off the vacuum and left the house as (laughs) as you would of course and that just again perfectly reeks of like uh, emulating a personality that they probably witnessed at some time or um whatever just to like get a certain amount of sympathy from the people because you're you're less likely to to uh (laughs) you're less likely to um send out a demon back to hell if you think that it's just this innocent little girl but no i feel like the innocent little girl demons are definitely the ones that you're like no but right back well i mean those are the ones you want to but you know they we've seen too many scary movies they develop that personality or emulate that personality so you develop a sense of sympathy for them it's about creating an emotional bond with the people that Mm. live there and also making themselves seem helpless and and uh you know um you you get the idea hmm very interesting stuff. I feel like these kind of stories are so interesting. Everyone needs to let us know if you like talking like this about this kind of stuff, true crime. <laughs> oh, well, we're definitely going to do more yeah. of these. Yeah, let let us know what you guys think about this story, though. I, I love it, that it's got a supernatural it. twist to it. Mm. Well, it was just one of those stories just like kind of came out of nowhere. They're not all, obviously they're not all going to be like this because how many true crime stories do we have where there's also a haunting associated with it? But Mm. I definitely want to do some more true crime stuff. Like the Amityville horror. Well, yeah, well, yeah. You know what? That is a really good example of a true crime story. (laughs) And also the, the new, um, the new one that's coming out, the Conjuring 3, that's based on the kid that was possessed by devils and then devils went into, um, the girl's, uh, fiance and then the fiance killed his own landlord went to prison uh Mm. for it and said i he it was the very first case in american history that they used the defense the devil made me do it but what there was another one what in the first season of tell me more what was the other we came across another kind of strange legal oh no that was for ghosts yeah that you can't sell a house if you you have to disclose that the house is right. haunted so basically there's a legal precedent that proves that ghosts are real not to mention there are countless police reports that include yeah ghost activity mm. St- even stuff that the police themselves witnessed mm. i'm so excited for season three. Oh yeah be- so season three of tell me so more is fun. going to be all ghost related stuff hauntings demons well, yeah. what have you it's based on Ed and Lorraine Warren, but I think we'll be getting into a little bit of looking into what demonology is, looking into, you know, psychics and clairvoyance. Hell yeah. If it is snake oil, if it's not, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't so. wait. Mm. Thanks for so joining yeah, us today. Uh, I hope you liked the, you know, I'm so happy we did another bonus episode. I know. We still have to do our, like, cryptid one as well. Oh, we will. We will. Yeah, stop promising what we're going to come out with because (laughs) that makes it so much harder. Yeah, see, that makes me feel like, you know, 
I'm committed to doing it. Yeah, but then we also we made we've made a few promises already that we haven't been able to keep up. <laughs> we are we are so busy, so ridiculous. And I was like, busy. why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that was an excellent uh, story. Thank you for sharing it with us, Patrice. That's all right. Hopefully, I didn't butcher it too badly. No, it was very good. I need to like work on my um. Maybe if I did my makeup when I was doing it. Well, I know Patrice told the story a bit better. <laughs> Patrice does get mad at me because I like to jump ahead a little bit, but the way I tell stories is different. I like to, I like to give out little details about what makes the story special before I actually start telling the narrative, and then I'll even throw in those little details as like a little salt and pepper for flavor before we actually get to the punchline. And Patrice hates telling the story that way. But when she yeah. first told me the story, the first thing she says is, yeah, so I met this woman and she said that um, her house was haunted and her potted plants kept moving around. And it turned out that it was the ghost of this man, that um, this motorcycle guy. And his motorcycle was stolen by this guy that murdered him in the mountains. So she told me the story the way I would have wanted to have told it. But, you know, now <laughs> that we get to, get to tell the story to you guys, no, 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 no. We got to tell it exactly in order. So I, I think she's, I. Well, because I don't know. All right, well, let us know that too in the comment section. Yeah. Do you like to have the punchline wrecked for you, well, not, or when you are listening to a creepy story, do you like a little tiny bit at a time so you can be prolonged creepiness? Yeah. Or well, do you just want to know in five minutes the story and then yeah. just listen to our silky voices to, like <laughs> ramble on? I I kind of like the way where it's not just giving away the punchline, but just giving little tastes about why it's special and then fleshing it out like filling in mm. the blanks that's that's it's just a very it's just a very different way of telling stories we both have very different styles yeah i think but i do love it when you're like I, in my in your mind you're thinking that you're like helping me and inside i'm seething like <laughs> why are you stealing my lines gregory yeah do you want to steal my thunder <laughs> i do think that patrice is the better storyteller though <laughs> yeah well you know <laughs> thanks for joining us tonight everybody thank you so much i hope you liked it let us know what you think don't forget to follow us on all our social media i'm full metal patrice on instagram gregory's armored skeptic on instagram we also have the full metal tuxedo on instagram and don't forget to email us your stories uh full metal tuxedo at gmail.com Art Bell style, tell us your first hand or second hand accounts of creepy, crazy things that have happened to you. That's it. Good night, right. everybody. Thank you. Sweet dreams. Bye bye. <laughs>